good. Okay. All right. So last week we were looking at question 13 near the end of class, uh, which is, did our first parents continue in the estate wherein they were created? And the answer is, they did not. That rather, they fell from that estate wherein they were created by sinning against God. We read the passage in Genesis 3. Um, We looked at some quotes from Augustine and uh, some Scottish Puritans and some other scripture. I want to uh, read one more passage and one more quote and then move on to question 14. Um, 2 Corinthians 11.3. I don't know if anybody's got that near at hand. It says, But I fear, lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. So there's a direct connection there between the serpent beguiling, uh, seducing Eve into sin through subtlety and our minds being corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ, being uh, led astray into false teaching, uh, sinful lifestyle, that sort of thing. There's a connection there. The, the question 15 is going to ask the question, how firm of a connection, how close? Is his fall our fall? Or like in this passage, do we just fall into similar temptations? Are we now more prone to sin? Or is everybody a tabula rasa like Adam and Eve? That's, that will be the question. Uh, but before that, we're going to talk about the, the nature of sin itself. Uh, Edward Irving wrote this, The very end of the fall was to put the proper distance between the Creator and the creatures and to show the creature that the source and the continuance of its being was from God and not in any way from itself. And if anyone asked me, could not this without a fall have been accomplished? I am ready to answer. As to that, I cannot tell. But I believe that this was the best way of accomplishing it. That's a pretty bold statement. Uh, we looked last week at how the intention of the tree being there, the forbidden tree, was ultimately to teach the idea that God is our source not only of life, eating from the tree of life, but of knowledge and of good and evil. And going to any other source other than God for that knowledge uh, is not only what causes the fall, but it really is the effect of the fall that now people don't go to God for knowledge of good and evil. In fact, people mock God's word and God's people and what's written uh, as to what is good and what is wicked. And we think of it as quaint and maybe uh, outdated and even hateful and that sort of thing. Up is down, down is up, good is evil. Uh, and that's a bummer. Uh, so anyone have any other thoughts on that, the fall uh, in general? I'm assuming not. All right, let's move on to question 14 then. The question is, What is sin? And the answer given, sin is any want of conformity to or transgression of the law of God. The text given there, the proof text is 1 John 3, 4. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is 
lawlessness. But notice that there are two different types of sin laid out in this answer, right? It doesn't just say it's when you break the law or it's the practice of lawlessness. It says sin is any want of conformity to, meaning a lack of conformity to the law of God, or any transgression of the law of God. What do you think are the, the, is the difference between those two things? A lack of conformity to God's law or a transgression of God's law. Sub-question, when you're reading the scriptures and sometimes it talks about our sins and sometimes it talks about our transgressions, is that just two words for the same thing? One passive and one active? I believe you are on the right track. I mean, like transgression would be like a violation of and conforming to being like you're not following it. Like, so one is in a full, like you didn't do it, and uh, the other one is you did do this. Okay. Let's let's talk some Greek. Isn't that fun? That's what everybody has been asking for. They're like, where's all the Greek, man? Hitting us with some Hebrew, but... Um, hey, look, someone made a little smile. Uh, so the Greek word usually used for sin is hamartia. Uh, and, in fact, the study of sin within theology, the, the locus of theology about sin, is called hamartiology. Uh, I don't know who goes into hamartiology. Uh, people who like sin, I guess. Um, and hamartia, very basically translated, simply means missing the mark. And so the verbal form means to miss the mark. I think it's hamartano. To miss the mark, uh, that's your want of conformity. That would be like uh, Beth said, the passive or the, the sin of omission, but also a sin of commission in which there's no rebellious spirit. Uh, there are so many laws in the Old Testament that oftentimes people missed that mark because that mark was very small and very hard to hit. Uh, that's why the Pharisees start building up additional laws around it to try and create a culture, a scenario in which somehow, even if you accidentally broke some of the outlying laws, you'd still keep that core of laws that they found in, in the Torah. Um, I would say rather than a strict passive-active split, although that's pretty common, uh, and we're going to talk about that in a minute, when we're talking about... The idea of this sort of sin, hamartia versus transgression, I would, I would suggest it's unintentional versus intentional. Interestingly, in the Old Testament, you have these entire uh, systems of sacrifice. In fact, uh, the word chetat, uh, which is the word for sin in the Old Testament, so closely tied to the sacrificial system that it's also the word for sin offering. Uh, and this notion that you sin, you make a guilt offering, you go in and, and you offer the blood of an animal and the priest, you know, takes care of your sins and these, these feast days that are built into the, uh, the year, the kind of liturgical year, are many of them built around the notion of covering sin, of uh, judgment passing over you because you've been covered uh, due to your sin, uh, leaving you open to judgment now you've been covered over. Um, and 
all of these things are meant to deal with unintentional sin. There really is not a Old Testament uh, offering or sacrifice you could make to cover an intentional sin. So you'll remember when uh, early on they were kind of beta testing the law and uh, there were two guys fighting. Uh, One of them was... um, more connected with the Egyptians than the other. We don't know exactly how. If he was, uh, mother was Egyptian, father was, whatever the case, he identified enough with Israel to have left with them. These two guys are fighting, and in the midst of it, this guy says something blasphemous using the revealed name of God. And they bring it to the high priest, or rather they bring it to Moses in this case, because he's functioning uh, in the, the tent of meeting as, as the one who talks to God face to face. And uh, do you remember what the outcome was? Did they say, well, we have a sacrifice for that? Or there's something? Wasn't he taken out of the camp? Stone him to death. Yeah, absolutely. It was put to death. Um, it was a face, you know, outward, brazen, willful rebellion against God, sin against God. Now, there are many of those that don't bring God's wrath down throughout the Old Testament, but that usually takes some uh, kind of fast-talking negotiation by Moses or later Joshua. Um, granted, all of our sins have at their core a sinful heart, and we're tainted by uh, Adam's sin and our sin nature. And so there is a enmity we have with God. But there is a difference in Scripture between those uh, falling short, missing the mark sins, and those willful, I know this is wicked and I'm going to do it anyway sins. But what is sin? Both of these are under that heading. Any want of conformity to or transgression of the law of God. So transgression then, of course, means you know, here's the line. I see the line. I cross the line. Like when you go to, you're driving out in the country and you see that like every 10 feet on a tree, it says posted really big, which is unnecessary because by posting the sign, it's already posted. And then underneath it, it says no trespassing or no hunting or whatever. Um, to see the sign, to see the sign post there that God has placed in his law and to disregard it and do what you want. Um, David, for example, does this transgressing the law in the matter of Bathsheba, big time. And you say, well, hold on, wasn't he forgiven? Yeah, but uh, a lot of people died in the meantime. I mean, there was uh, punishment for it. Uh, and, and it's David's contrite heart then that foreshadows for us how we will be forgiven and washed clean of sins, whether transgression or, or omission or commission or whatever the case. Uh, there's, there's this um, rebellion and revolt, and uh, I think that we can safely say where there's ignorance of the law, there's still sin, but there's not transgression because it's not willful. Uh, And there are a lot of people around us. I mean, they have God's law to some degree written on their heart, but not the way that we do under the new covenant. It's written on their heart, but it's broken into a million pieces. And it's hard to put all the pieces together. And the flesh speaks sometimes louder than that law. And so there are people who are sinning and don't know it. And if the church then doesn't say 
you're sinning and there's judgment for sin, but good news, Jesus bore that judgment, but instead says, God loves you anyway. Um, we'll help your life be more fulfilling and every day a Friday. You've basically just consigned that person to missing the gospel. And, and not, if you don't understand your sin, you're not going to understand what Christ came to do. You, you, that's just a, a, a basic gospel fact. Um, in, the, in the Greek, by the way, uh, the word is generally parabasis. Um, an overstepping, right? Uh, going a step too far. Uh, and and I, I would suggest that one step too far, making a transgression means you are already flirting with sin. Right? We have a tendency to find that line where the law is, get right up to it so that our toes almost touch it and go, okay, well, I'm good here. Um, and then one false step and you've uh, sinned. You've rebelled against God, whereas the scriptures, I mean, read the Sermon on the Mount, teach us, see that line from a great distance, flee in the other direction uh, to Christ. Uh, in, the, in the Hebrew, it's... Uh, uh, let's see, I don't even really know this word. I just wrote it down. Pesah, a rebellion or a revolt. Um, so that's, that's kind of two different ways of viewing sin. Uh, and when we together pray a, a confession prayer that's, that's more or less standard in Christianity, whether you're Roman Catholic or Lutheran or Presbyterian or what, uh, we generally use a, a formula that you find... In all of those traditions, we have sinned against you in, does anyone remember three categories? Thought, word, and deed through two, right, either what we have done and what we have left undone or what we've done, what we failed to do, what we've done, left undone. And it's easy to pray that real quick, but it's probably, especially as we are coming up fast on Ash Wednesday, a good idea to spend some time in that for, your, for yourself. Um, don't trip on that. It is worthless. Oh, look at that. Nice dark one. Much better. Um, so you sinned in thought by what you've done, meaning you have thought things you should not. What kind of a, you know, uh, penny-pinching, petty God cares what you think? Well, our God, (laughs) he cares because he created us in our very being, being made in his image, to glorify him and to serve him. And even in those Ten Commandments, you know, we think of the Old Testament as being everything's outward, outward, right? And then we get to the New Testament and it goes into the heart. No, remember at the end of the Ten Commandments, we go into the heart, coveting. You can't really see your neighbor covet unless, like, Homer Simpson is literally out in the driveway, like, drooling, looking at, you know, his, somebody's car or something. You're, you're not going to see it. It happens secretly in the heart. That's where sin begins, right? Remember Achan? I saw, then I coveted, then I took, then I buried. Then I was discovered, then I was uh, stoned to death, then my family with me, and then I was burned with all my possessions, and then all of us were buried under a heap of rocks. So that's a bad, or, or James, desire gives birth to sin. Sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. So death is like the grandchild of desire. It starts in the thoughts. 
right? She saw that the food was good for eating and desirable. She listened. So yeah, it begins, it, it's got to begin. And so our, our piety and our, our walk with God can't just be about what we're doing, even what we're saying. It has to start with the mind, which, you know, there's no hard distinction in the scriptures between your mind and your heart. Uh, in fact, often when you read heart, you could translate that mind because the seat of emotion and often thought was thought to be the heart, your core, who you are. So it, it's, it's got to start with our heart, our mind, our innermost being, um, and sin also starts that way. So what you've actually thought, now this goes really beyond what we've left unthought. What's an example of a sin based on what we've left unthought? That's a category in what we confess each and every month before we take the, the Lord's Supper. Not love you with my whole heart and the whole soul. that be in thought? Or? If you're not having that thought, it's undone. If you're not having what thought? So love Did God I, with your with my whole heart. Mind and strength. Uh huh. Say again? Probably care for others, right? James has that point about. about uh, you know, if you, if you see someone's hungry and, you know, cold, you shut the door and say, oh, be fed and be warm, and then you do nothing for them. It's worthless. Well, we've got there, I want to I suss this out, tease this out. We've got, we've got an action, uh, shutting the door, and you've got left undone, what? Doing anything, right? <laughs> Feeding, in this case, and giving clothing, or, or giving someone a place to stay. Uh, Words, what you said, be warm, well-fed, that's sinful in conjunction with this, right? It's hypocritical, um, be warm, and that's an ampersand. Now, I can do a really good one. Hold on. There we go. And well-fed, what have we not said? Here. <laughs> I'll feed you, or while you're in my warm home, I'll tell you about Jesus, or, you know, any, anything, um, uh, N-A. <laughs> and anything is, has been left unsaid. And so it, you trace it back. What is, what is the thought here? This person isn't worth my time or trouble. Thinking of others, so you're just thinking of yourself. So left unthought would be a kind of Christ-like... I love you. Yeah, I love you. I'm going to take care of you. Compassion, I heard. Love. So when our thoughts, even when they're not filled with, here's how I'm going to cheat my way to becoming rich or lust or rage, I'm going to kill that guy or I'd like to, or I'm going to lie about him until he loses his job, these overt thoughts, if they're not filled with compassion and love for the people around us, that can still be a sin of falling short, of missing the mark. Now the good news I don't want to skip ahead several questions, is that, yes, you sin in this way, and I sin in this way every day, but Christ has died to cover those sins. And if you are walking with him, he is slowly sanctifying you. Um, I mean, some slower than others, but we are becoming more like him. So that our, remember, have the same mind in you that was in Christ Jesus? Uh, that, that the thoughts are becoming more and more Christ-like. That's a gauge because you can have uh, really self-centered motives about doing good deeds, right? 
You can have very self-centered motives about saying kind things to people. It's hard to have self-centered motives about... I, I can imagine ways in which you would, but it would be a, a real roundabout thing to have self-centered moments about, about the thoughts that you think the, in your private inner monologue and your, your uh, motivations and, and these things, these secret things that happen in our hearts and our heads. Uh, so I think that the overt thought here that is uh, sinful is I'm more important or my comfort, my whatever I was doing. Um, now, again, you can go nuts with this, and every time you drive by somebody with a sign that says, anything helps, God bless, you feel like, oh, I'm sinning again, and, and you know, you get, you bury yourself under the heavy yoke of the law, uh, and, and that's not what the gospel's about either. It's about being led by the Spirit, and uh, knowing that if you are in tune with and in prayer, in, in prayer without ceasing to our God, that your thoughts will be directed and that you will be um, directed by that same mindset that was in Christ. Uh, that's, so I, I believe you can do this sort of uh, math on almost anything, uh, ac- action, thought, or uh, deed, and bring it back to its core. And, and you can turn it around and say, how would this not be sinful? Uh, what should I do and not do? What should I say and not say? What should I think and not think in order for this to be God-honoring? Let's do that. Why not? Oh, you're smarter than me. You got it. So you have encountered a situation in which someone is, what is the exact wording? You probably remember this. Alex, you brought it up. They're at your door and they're, Cold and hungry. I guess even if it doesn't say it specifically, it's inferred from be warm and well-fed, right? That's the opposite. So what thoughts motivate you? Or what thoughts pass through your mind? If somebody came to your door, is that what you're saying? Your door. I mean, we happen to say his door. <laughs> but, but I can't say that with everybody. You must be hungry. You must be cold. At least cold. Uh-huh. What, I mean, in terms of what would we... <clears throat> what, what's the Christ-like... What's the opposite of what we just laid out? Yeah, so you would say, oh, have compassion and say... Okay, so compassion. How, how cold and... You know, you have to be aware of what someone else would be feeling. Let me ask you this. What if your first thought is, if I let this person in, am I safe? Is that wicked? Is that sin? No. A little Christ first thing would be to read their mind and know their... <laughs> All right. Um, how are you getting that bias? Are you engaged in those situations? Say that again. Well, I mean, it, right. I mean, like, it, it depends why you're thinking. Am I safe? Just because they look dirty and cold, or is it yeah. because they're well, actually yeah. holding a threatening presence? Or is it because your family is in the house and you are called to protect them? Yeah. Right. Maybe you think is is Levi safe if I let this person in? Um, I don't. I don't think. That these, I mean, we're going to see in uh, the passage this morning that a take up your cross, deny yourself life does not uh, cancel out the God given sense of self preservation. Mm-hmm. Why? Peter takes off. We don't know where he goes after he's let out of prison, but he takes off and uh, four guards get put to death. 
Uh, later on, Paul will say, I'll stick around and you won't be put to death. But Peter's like, yeah, you're on your own. Uh, and, and that's okay. Later on in church history, Cyprian will be um, called a heretic because he took his, his congregation and fled when persecution was coming rather than say, let's stay and die. I mean, we've already seen Paul take off from two cities because persecution came and people were plotting against his life. Peter, uh, so, so there's not something wicked about being wise. You don't have to be foolish to be Christ-like. Because you can still have compassion for this person without bringing them into your specific home if you feel like they're a threat. So you could bring them, mm-hmm. you know, to the, sh- the mission or right. give them bus fare to get to the mission or something like that. Or a coat if they don't have an adequate one or something, yeah. Yeah. But it starts with the thought, yeah. and the thought doesn't necessarily... Right. It's like allow not allowing fear to um, completely, fear or cynicism to quash your compassion. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, what if on the, the corner of the on-ramp or off-ramp, you, your thought is, is this person actually homeless? Or is this a uh, racket that nets more money than my legitimate job? Is, is that to give in to cynicism and, and, and become sinful? <laughs> well, or is it realistic? What if it's informed by having watched a uh, Channel 6 expose on how they followed 14 of these people and they all went back to nice homes and nice cars. Wouldn't, wouldn't that depend on the person going by them? So, like, to you, if it's sin, it's sin. Mm-hmm. And if you, if you know better about a particular situation and you decide, I'm not going to give this person money because they're taking advantage of people... Is that not sin? But it would be sin if you didn't think that to drive by them. <laughs> okay. I don't know the chapter and verse, but this is a thing. Well, no, you're, you're talking about in, in a passage about Adiaphora, we read, you know, if, if it's going to violate someone's conscience, for example, right. to eat meat sacrificed to idols. Uh, of course, it's, it's notable that the opposite's not true. If it's not sin for you, it's not sin, is, isn't a biblical pre- precept. And I'm not saying you right. said that. Um, okay, but perhaps the motives matter. If. Again, someone said, uh, why are you asking this question? If you have this kind of, well, you sh- if I, I have a job and I work, you should have a job and be able to work. Uh, you're now missing a huge theme of Scripture uh, of what, what is pure religion? Acceptable to God the Father, according to St. James? Care of the widows and the orphans. Keep yourself unstained from the world. Yeah. Looking after widows and orphans under distress. And those are two categories chosen because those are the people with no advocate and no safety net. People who are living at the mercy of others. To care for them and keep yourself unstained or unpolluted by the world. That's, that's religion. Uh, if it's going to be acceptable to God. Anything else? So, so if it's this kind of um, very Western, very modern, very capitalist, well, you ought to pull yourself up by the bootstraps and I don't want to enable you to keep on... Be careful, you don't have any more longer, longer the mind, you know. It never says anywhere to have that mind in you, which was in Ayn Rand. Uh, but rather, <laughs> I was in Christ Jesus. So, <laughs> compassion at the core might lead different people to different thoughts, right? And, and uh, we need to follow the Spirit. So, the compassion will lead you to say, what can I do for this person? What is the need? Maybe, if they're ripping me off, 
the Spirit's going to help me to see that their greatest need is just someone to listen to them for a while. Uh, they're doing this because they don't have any other connection with people. Or maybe their greatest need is for someone to point out their, their sin. Like, yeah, I, I'm sorry, lady who's been at the corner of Edgewood and Cedar for four years and pregnant the whole time. I don't believe you. Uh, what's really going on with you? Uh, it's, it's to pray. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, and certainly we should be in prayer anytime we come face to face with something where we go, am I going to go down a road toward life and, and uh, honoring God or towards sin, transgression or, or missing the mark? Um, prayer ought to be our, our go-to knee-jerk response. Uh, left undone probably ought to be uh, anything to glorify ourselves, right? Uh, even if we were to give someone a you know, five-course meal and give them our favorite clothes and send them on their way, uh, if it's done to glorify me, then our, our motives so will make it sinful. To be seen by others, mm-hmm. as Jesus said. Right. Uh, and then, what about, what about words? What kind of words ought one to say in that situation? The, the roadside situation? Uh, or the person at your door or what? I mean, the person at your door is something that rarely happens anymore, I feel like, because our culture is very different from there. Although it's happened to Aaron and myself to the point where actually with one person, we had to say, we're, we're sorry, we're, we're, we've given you help many, many times. And uh, uh, buddy, your story didn't check out. And he's come to the church and, and it just didn't work. Uh, but that was after a number of times saying, how can we help and how can we go out of our way. Say words out of like love and, and like what well, can I do for you? Like, mm-hmm. like you just said, what is really going on with you? Yeah. Yeah, even if you're at the point of, of needing to rebuke someone in a situation, yeah. the scriptures, there's, there's, a, there's a continuum, but uh, we go from if it's a, an older man in the church, older than you, older than everybody, whatever, um, I didn't gesture at you specifically, Richard. It's just this general direction. Uh, or a, a woman uh, with an older woman, don't rebuke harshly, but exhort with love as if this was your mother or your father. And that's probably a pretty good idea to keep in mind all the time. But there were times when Elijah or Ezekiel or even Jesus himself or John the Baptist really kind of went nuts on people because they were exploiting someone, uh, they were uh, exploiting their desire to reconnect with God, they were were using people in a a wicked way. In the case of the person who kept coming to our house, if he were exploiting people who were weak and poor, you'd have a different response than when he was clearly exploiting us, because we could afford that still. we kind of sent him away with a nice, but nah, I'm not so sure that you're who you say. After four or five times helping him for the last time? Right. <laughs> with him going through cancer treatment and he never, ever changed the way he looked. And, oh, yeah. And that, that, yeah. He was always riding a bike and he never lost his hair. You know, Nine years of cancer treatment. Yeah. You're like, you're either dead or you're better, yeah. man. Or, so, or some arc in this thing. Not, he didn't, like, you know, send him away swearing at him or anything. Uh-huh. What's that? Speak life into them. You don't, you know, you don't make, not necessarily don't make them feel bad, but you don't speak words of death, not like, mm-hmm. I wish you were just like, right. scumbag, get out of here. Even with our enemies, we bless and do not curse, right. according to Jesus. So with people who are, you know, lost, sheep without a shepherd, the person who's out there 
uh, trying to fleece people for a few bucks because it's easier than working, that's a sheep without a shepherd. That's someone who needs... So Jesus saw those people and was moved by compassion, not by a sense of, this ain't right. Well, on top of that, they don't have to pay taxes on that money. <laughs> and we had to. Uh-huh. Okay, so that would be one reason to be angry. Um, but sure that Your words aren't empty, though, right? Because the person's in, in a flip of this, whose words are empty, he doesn't really care if they're full or if they're warm, or he would have done it himself, mm-hmm. right? He doesn't care about it. So, I mean... By saying that and shutting the door, your words are completely empty. Right. So, I mean, I'd make sure that my words are empty. If I'm actually saying I want you to be warm and fed, I'm going to warm you and I'm going to feed you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, your yes be yes, your no be no, your warm be warm, your fed be fed, right? Yeah. Well, I think that something that I've been struggling to learn over, like, you know, probably the past 10, 15 years, when you run into people like this who are clearly um, taking advantage of you, is realizing that... Um, my sense of pride at not being tricked is not more important than anything else. Like, you feel like I shouldn't be tricked and I shouldn't be taken advantage of or whatever, but to let that say, like, that's more important, my, my pride in this situation, than even if I am being tricked, like, and I know I'm being tricked, still helping somebody, because clearly, yeah, they, they, aren't, they don't have a shepherd. And I think that you want to just also, the, the thought should be a prayer, first of all, and looking to the Holy Spirit to lead us. Aaron and I almost never give people on the corner money because Mark Chris told me years ago, like, <clears throat> made me swear not to. And he runs the city rescue mission. And he, and he knows all the homeless, the legit homeless people in town. He knows who has been offered help. And no. He knows that, you know, that the stories of, hey, we've seen you out here day after day. Would you like a job? It's $11 an hour if you mop. I make more than all of you people. No. I mean, so, so uh, there, but there have been times when one or both of us are in the car and we see, and, and, and there's just a something, you know, the, the spirit leads you and you go, well, I'm not, I'm not even going to question it. Worst case scenario, I'm out five or 10 bucks or whatever. Um, best case scenario, I'm actually doing something with some eternal value to it. Uh, so yeah, I think that, that, uh, compassion, uh, what are my motives, right? So am I more concerned with the principle that you don't pull one over on me? Or am I more concerned with the fact that you may go without food today? This sort of thing. Um, we're in danger of kicking. Go ahead. If they're, if they're taking advantage of you, they have to answer to God on that. If you have done what you can, right. yeah, you don't have to answer. Yeah, you don't have to answer for being taken advantage of. Right. 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 The results of this either way. So I think as long, like if you're walking in the path, and especially in that when you know the Spirit led you to do that, then there's going to be that best case. And if it's in the worst case, again, it's what you lost five or ten dollars. But even then, you have the example to learn from later on. Like this is how I felt when I did it this way and that was my thought. So you can just, you're continuing to be sanctified. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah, so this is not a, this is almost like hermeneutics, which is the, the study of Scripture. How every time you come to the Bible, to the text, you get closer to the truth, you, it changes who you are, and then the next, and, and, and now you're a different person. The next time you come to that same text, you understand it better because you're more like Jesus. You go around and around. It's the same thing. Every time we 
kind of face these things, even if we fail. We learn from it, we grow from it, and hopefully next time we will be more Christ-like in um, the, the interaction. We could, I was thinking we would do a few different scenarios, but I, I think we've, we've got it. Um, the, the notion that at any moment you are in grave danger of thinking or not thinking, saying or not saying, doing or not doing something that will either be a lack of conformity to or a transgression of the law. That, that sin, as God said to Cain, is crouching at your door. It wants to master you, but you must master it. Uh, and that's a scary thing. And that's why every, people know this instinctively, intrinsically. That's why everywhere you go, there's religion, right? I mean, religion exists everywhere around the world, whether in, in East or West or wherever, uh, or in untouched native populations in Peru, because we all are built in the image of God with a built-in desire to connect with our Creator. But religions are very similarly complex and involve a lot of the same elements because we also know instinctively that we're, there's a, a chasm between us and our Creator that has to be crossed. Thank God, our faith is that we don't have to cross it. Rather, Christ crossed it when He came and dwelt amongst us, lived a perfect life which we couldn't live, never, ever thought anything He shouldn't or failed to think what He should, said anything He shouldn't or failed to say what He should or did anything He shouldn't or failed to do what He could. He actually lived an entire life without sin on our behalf, then died to take the punishment for our sin, our transgressions, even our willful rebellion, not just our unintentional sin. Wow, that's really, really, really good news. When you break it down like this both ways, our sin and his ability, like his not sinning, it's much more, like it's bigger, it feels a lot bigger both the problem and the solution than just because we think of those sin more as what we do or don't do. Right, right. And, and it's almost what we are. And, and Christ says, I'm going to come so that you can be something else, what you were intended to be. Uh, and, you know, when we look at that and you see the scope of it, we mentioned John Newton last week. This was his, at the end of his life, you know, he was a slave trader. He was a dirtbag. And over time, he, he came to faith. He wrote the Amazing Grace and many, 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 amazing sermons that you can find for free online. And uh, it's nice of John Newton to make his sermons free online. And he looks back at his life and says, I know two things. That's it. I'm a great sinner and Christ is a great savior. And I think that keeping both of those in perspective without the first, without a sense of sin, and the church is slowly like backing away from this because it makes the culture angry, but without the sense of the gravity of our sin, there's not even a need for a savior, let alone is he an uh, amazing, awe-inspiring, great savior. Uh, that's uh, falling out of fashion. Why do you think this is falling out of fashion, talking about even what is sin? I, I don't see this being a sermon series at any, um, I almost said mega churches, but that's not fair, uh, at, at, at many churches these days. Well, for me, it's depressing to, to look at this and see how sinful I am. Right. <laughs> Sean, i got to tell you, it's depressing for me to look at you and see how sinful you are. Yeah, so it doesn't make you feel good immediately. No, this is not a feel-good 
Although it is, it is uh, the path toward feeling very good, right. recognizing how much God loved me, that even though I'm over here like inventing new ways to think, say, and do wickedness, he still hasn't forgotten about me and cast me aside. The sad thing is, any church that I see that do talk about sin sometimes are talking about it like everything's a sin and you're all doomed, mm-hmm. but there's nothing at the end to tell you how to get out of that situation. Which, yeah, yeah, and that's tragic, right? The idea that we, we don't offer the remedy. Uh, so you, you have two extremes that are equally unbiblical. Uh, perverting grace so that it becomes license to do whatever you like. Grace becomes God doesn't care, which, I mean, that's blasphemy that, to, to suggest that's grace. And then the other extreme is, eh, there is no, there, no grace. You've got to, like, keep all however many rules that are in the scripture and however many we've added, like don't play cards and don't go to the movie house and all this stuff. And, and you got to keep all these things by your own strength. Um, and you got to change your own heart, like Finney said. And I mean, th- this is, uh, that's more dangerous in my mind. This is pharisaical religion. What Jesus, what made Jesus uh, get as close as he ever did to speaking right out of anger. You fools. Uh, woe to you, teachers of the law and, and Pharisees, you hypocrites. Um, uh, casually calling them sons of hell and sons of the devil. So we want to avoid both of those. But we don't, again, this is always going to be our theme through this catechism. We don't want to find like the middle ground or the balance between grace and law or, or whatever, sin and forgiveness. We want to embrace the tension. Yes, I'm a huge, horrible sinner, probably worse than all of you. Yes, Christ is a great Savior, and His grace is more powerful than my sin. And, and those two things together are, are the gospel. I mean, the bad news gives the good news meaning. Without that bad news, of course the culture is going, yeah, we don't really need this anymore, because they've done away with the category of sin. Everything that was once sin is now to be celebrated or is indifferent, or it's only sinful if it directly hurts someone else. And even then, I mean, we're seeing those things slowly becoming things to be celebrated as well. So where the gospels, it's not like we just gave up the gospel. It's that the gospel loses its, its uh, power when sin loses its, its teeth and is removed from the equation. You know, sometimes, I don't know if you've ever been asked, do you want the good news first or the bad news first? Mm-hmm. Usually I'll ask for the bad news first because that will make the good news sound a whole lot better. Right. So in this case, if, if, if you said, uh, someone said, do you want the good news first or the bad news first? And you said, I don't want the bad news at all. Just give me the good news. And then walked away not knowing what the bad news was. And, and it was very important. Um, that's kind of what the American church, I think, I've turned on, you know, uh, goofy FM or whatever, and listen to the Christian music. And there's no sense of, uh, in most cases, of the depth of our sin. So you're saying you want both the good news and the bad news, not just one of them. You, you, uh, yeah, that's what I said, yeah. So, and the, the notion that, uh, I mean, maybe I'm being unfair. I, I don't listen to the Christian station at the moment. I listen to very particular things that I seek out. Uh, but I remember like a few years ago, David Crowder was, 15 years ago, was, was kind of at his apex. Ah, shut up. Yeah, I'm getting up there. 40. Um, it was like 10 years ago. And I remember like, it was, it was a song on the radio 
And I listened to the words and was like, whoa, this is full on, like this is Calvin's Institutes in a, and the music's really good and the theology's really good and the poetry of it's really good. And I was like, maybe I am into Christian music. And then the next one was just like one of these bubblegum Jesus is my boyfriend songs. And I was like, nope. Um, so I, I, I should, I'm being unfair probably, but we, we need to guard against that because we can very slowly make the world happy by dialing down the talk of sin or the idea of God having wrath against sin. But by turning that down, you're turning down the power of the cross. In the cross, you see the meeting of God's wrath against sin and God's love for sinners, both equally displayed. God's love for sinners in that Christ would endure that for us, that God in Christ reconciles the world to himself at the cost of his back being laid open with a flagrum and his head being pierced with thorns and his side being pierced. And, and I mean, excruciating, the word excruciating means out of the cross, like he defined pain. That's God's love for sin. But why is it so horrific? Because of God's wrath against sin. And taking away either part of that equation causes the, the gospel to really kind of fall on its face. It, it becomes a less beautiful message. Uh, and, and it doesn't even really make much sense, except as something kind of comforting and nostalgic because we heard it as kids growing up. And fewer and fewer you know, millennials even heard it as kids. So that nostalgia maintains it for a while, and then that kind of disappears. And then you start looking at Pew Research numbers for how many people don't consider them Christians or anything, or maybe they're spiritual but not religious, and the numbers are enormous. And we go, what happened? Well, we dropped the ball. That's what happened. Plus, when you think about it, how he um, made that example in such a public way. Who who knows? What? Oh, oh, you're talking about the cross again. Yeah, right. He made made it such a public thing when he could have done it in secret. Right, so he's, he's proclaiming, even in his actions, the, that God hates sin, but God loves sinners, and God's faithful when we are faithless, and God's mercy is greater than our... So, yeah, these are things that we need to proclaim. After all, as I Both recall, sides. the whole reason for the cross was so that the execution would be public, wasn't it? Well, yeah, the Roman the practice of crucifixion was, yeah, so it was along a major highway in and out of the city, and people would, would see it and go, oh, don't, don't make Rome mad. All right, we're going to uh, end here a little early, like I said at the beginning. And uh, next week, we will move from question 14 to question 15. Let me tease you with a little old-timey sermon illustration. A gospel minister, having preached on the doctrine of original sin, was afterwards waited on by some persons who stated their objections to what he had advanced. After hearing them, he said, I hope you do not deny actual sin, too. No, they replied. The good man expressed his satisfaction at their acknowledgement. But to show the folly of their opinions in denying a doctrine so plainly taught in Scripture, he asked them, Did you ever see a tree growing without a root? Boom. Roasted. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, the, the message of our sin and the reality uh, that we are lost without you, that all like sheep have gone astray, that, Lord, we are... Uh, under judgment until that, that judgment is meted out on Christ and until our sins are paid for by his blood. And Lord, we pray that we would not dial back 
talk of sin, that we wouldn't uh, revel in it and like pointing out sins or, or making up rules and pointing out when people break them, that, Lord, we would not become like the Pharisees, but that we would acknowledge the reality and the, the gravity and the severity of our, our sin because it all the more magnifies the power of your love and your mercy and what you did at the cross. Lord, we pray that we would uh, continue to be faithful to a biblical message uh, that, that requires three parts, uh, a creation of, of, of people who are free in perfection to follow you, a fall into sin, which brings a curse with it, and a separation from you and redemption when Jesus came and reconnected us to our Creator so that we could uh, glorify you and enjoy you forever. We're so thankful for that. And uh, I pray that you would be with us this morning as we worship together, as we uh, sing your praises, read your word. And, and Lord, I pray you would uh, guide me as I open your word and, and we talk about prayer uh, and its place in our lives today. We pray all this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.